Well, good morning, everybody. Good to have you with us this morning. My name is Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. I'm glad you all were able to get here safely. This morning, we're starting a new series. It's called The Eyes of Faith. Uh, and uh, we're going to be looking for several weeks now at this idea of faith. Now, why would we look at this? Well, the Christian life is about living by faith. It's really about believing and all the time about believing. Look what the Bible says here in your notes. If you'd like to follow along or up on the screen in Romans chapter one, Paul said these words, the good news shows how God makes people right with him, that it begins and ends with faith. As a scripture says, but those who are right with God will live by faith. Notice that, that having a relation with God begins and ends and everywhere in between with faith. It's all about faith. Well, what is faith? Let's think about this. Well, let me tell you what faith is not. First, faith is not a desire. I may want something, but that doesn't mean I have faith. It just means I have a desire. Another is, faith is not pretending something to be true that isn't true. I can pretend something and say, well, this here I hold in my hand is a Samsung phone or a, an iPhone, a new iPhone. This is not a new iPhone. And even though I believe, I believe it's going to be a new iPhone. It's not a new iPhone. It's an old iPhone and it's needing to be replaced uh, as soon as possible. So just believing something that's true that isn't true doesn't mean you have faith. And faith isn't a feeling either. In fact, you're going to find that if you've discovered this already, sometimes feelings get in the way of our faith many times. No, what is faith then? Faith is a way of seeing from God's point of view. That's what I learned this week. That faith is really seeing life, seeing things from God's point of view. It's living with spiritual clarity. Let me give you an example. Here's in Hebrews 11 verse 1. The Bible says faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. Isn't that interesting? I love the way the new century says that. See, there are hidden things. There are some things that I just have to take somebody's word for it. I can't see it. The doctor says you have something you know, in your blood. I can't see it. But they, they say, well, we found it. We did a test. I don't see it. But it's there. It's real. And that's not only true in the physical realm that we live in, but also in the spiritual realm. The Bible talks about this. It talks about about things being just as real even though you can't see them with the naked eye. It says here in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul said these words, We set our eyes. What's he mean? We focus. We, we, we concentrate. Not on what we see, and by the way, what is, he, what is the context of this passage? What he's talking about, there's lots of, we face lots of problems and troubles, and we definitely have no trouble seeing those. I mean, we're, we've got 2020 vision, or even 2015 vision when it comes to that. He goes, but there's, but uh, knowing that, he says, I'm not, and I, I'm not saying I ignore those things. I notice them, you notice them. But I'll tell you what the secret of life is. He says, I fix my eyes, I open my eyes, and I concentrate on seeing unseen things. Things that I, that we cannot see. He says, what we see will only last a short time. They're real, but they're not here forever. This table's real. Right? It's real. But eventually it'll end up in the dumpster. Because somebody will break it. 
If I don't do it, you'll do it. It'll end up in the dumpster. It, it doesn't last. He says, but the unseen things, well, the things that we can't see, they last forever. I get the impression that Paul's trying to say, listen, the unseen things are just as real as the ones you see, maybe even more real, because they have, a, they last longer. They're eternal. So you really want to have an eye for this. You want to be able to see this. So he says, I open, I turn, I focus my eyes on these things. Now, how can I see the unseen? I've got to use some help. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to have, use another way of looking at something. I've got to see, I've got to, I, I guess you could say I need another set of eyes. I remember we had a teacher named Edith Bunning. We called her Speedy Edie. The students did. And someone, one time, she's writing on the, the, the chalkboard some equation. She's doing algebra. And somebody it leans over and, Dear Mr. Smith, would you please quit leaning over? How did she see? She must like be like my mother. She must have eyes in the back of her head. I was four years old. I remember my brother saying, Mom's got eyes in the back of her head. And while she was asleep, I checked. There were no eyes. But we know what that means, right? We know what that phrase means. They, it's like they have eyes in the back of, back of their head. They're they just able to see. Well, you have eye, another set of eyes. And it's no figure of speech. You have eyes in your heart. And they're the eyes in which you're able to see the unseen things. Look at this marvelous promise here that Paul makes. It's interesting that we're looking at the writings of Paul here. He was blind for three days, and remember, scales fell from his eyes, and he was able to see. And he talks about this idea of seeing with another set of eyes over and over in Scripture. In first, in, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, it says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart, there they are, you got eyes in your heart? Yeah. Will have enough light to see. What is the hope of God's call? What is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers? He says, I, I, I want you to be able to see. I want you to have the eyes of your heart have enough light so you can see. I don't know how you are, but as I've gotten older, I need more light. I've got three headlamps in my van now. I got as many headlamps, just about as many as I do eyeglasses. Why? Because I'm losing them constantly and I always need a light. And so I, I've, I've held the, have you ever held the flashlight, a little flashlight in your mouth and it wanders around and you're like, will you stop moving? And, and so I got these headlamps, just bought a set for everybody, you know, that replaces glass and, uh, and, and the company. And I, and it's a, it's a two stager and man, you hit that second stage and you're burning people in half. I want a bright light. Because I can't see. He says, I want your, I want your eyes to be flooded with light. And it's, what, where's this light come from? It comes from God. This light from God. And he says, then you can see what you can expect. You can see when he opens your eyes and he gives you this light, then it reveals what he's doing and what he will do, where he is. Now there's lots of examples in the Bible of God opening eyes, and I'm, We'll probably talk a little bit more about this uh, at our celebration. But let me give you a few here. 
One of them is found in Genesis 21, and it's a story of Hagar and Ishmael. This is Abraham's uh, wife. You know, Sarah wanted to have children. She didn't think she could have any, so she said, well, get Hagar, and you can have a son through Hagar, and we'll raise him as our own. And so Ishmael is born through Hagar, and finally Sarah gets so jealous, I don't even want the woman around. Would you just get rid of her? And so Abraham gives her some food and some water and says, listen, I believe God's going to take care of you, but you've got to go. And while she's, while she's out in the middle of the desert wandering around, they run out of food, they run out of water, the, 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 the child begins to cry. And what mother doesn't like? You know, they whine or crying, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. And she's, she can't handle it anymore. She takes him, puts him in a, in a, a little shade of a tree and, and just, off by herself and starts begins to cry and God speaks to her and says, don't you worry, Hagar. We're, I'm going to take care of you. Your son's going to be, have become a great nation. And then the Bible says these words here. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Notice it said God opened her eyes. Was the well there? Yeah, she couldn't see it. But God opened her eyes and she noticed this well and she got, and she, what she do? She kicks the water and gives it the boy to drink. There's a story, one of my favorite, where Elisha, has, uh, an army has been sent. This king can't stand him, and he sends his army to take and capture him. And they show up at Elisha's doorstep, and a, and a servant, his sidekick is there, and the servant goes, oh no, look at this vast army. I mean, it's a big one. And Elisha says these words. He says, you know, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I mean, just imagine. You see, first of all, you see this vast army, and then God opens your eyes and you see this incredible army, and they got flaming chariots all over the place. What are those? That's scary. I wonder how he felt. Wow. That's a, what did the servant say? Wow. One of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Could have made the Bible. Didn't make it. I, I just think he goes, what? What? Look at that! God opened his eyes to see God's power. Then you got these two guys, these two disciples after the resurrection of Jesus, and they're walking on their way to Emmaus. You know the story. They're walking by themselves. It's been a gloomy day. It's three days after Jesus has been killed. And they're walking around going, woe is me. And then Jesus kind of comes out, I don't know, he comes out of the, like a merge on the path. He walks up and starts walking. Well, what's going on, guys? Oh, haven't you heard Jesus? Oh, who are you talking about? Oh, where have you been, man? And they begin to explain to him. And they, and they invite him to come over and eat and this stranger. And as they're sitting there, they dip their hand in the bread. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says their eyes were open. They recognize Jesus. And then the guy disappears on them. What's that all about? A little cameo appearance? What are you doing? But he opens their eyes and they go, it was the Lord. And you see this over and over and over again played out in the Bible. I want to ask you this morning something. Ask yourself, what does God want me to see? What does He want the eyes of my heart to see? What does He want to open so I can really get a good look at that? What does He want me to see? See, I'm praying that in this series, I'm praying that this year, you know, the theme is open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want you to know, church, we're at a point now, we have got to open our eyes to God. What does He want us to see and do? What's He want us to be? What's, is it maybe, is, some of us here, we, you know, 
maybe it's, God, I need to see your power played out. I need to know you're still there with me, that you've been along this path, and I just need to know that. I need to be able to see that you're always going to be with me. You're not going to leave me. Or maybe I just need to see his plan. He see his plan, his purpose for my life. I'm praying that this year, as we start a new decade, 2020 vision, you know, to be able to see like we've never seen before. I hope that that's going to happen to you during this next several weeks here as we look at faith. Because it, because our, our lives start with faith and they end with faith. I have some reading glasses on. You know, when I put them on, you're all blurry. Now you're all clear. And I, and I get tired of taking, somebody says, man, Tim, you, you take those glasses off so much, just leave them on. Okay. Well, you're all blurry. I can't tell what you're doing. I can't see very well up close anymore. I remember going to the, the eye doctor and he was like 24, just out of whatever, 26. I don't know how old they are, but he's a young man. I'm 40. I was 40. I was frustrated about reading. I couldn't read. I didn't want to read anymore. I thought, man, there's something wrong with me. I don't want to read God's Word anymore. I don't like it anymore. I don't want to read anything. And, and uh, so I go and he goes, well, let's go. And he gives me a, a, I look in them, but big binoculars with hooked up to a machine, whatever it is. And I'm looking in that, read this line, read, I'm guessing some of it. He goes, okay, we've done enough. I go, okay, so doc, what is it? Well, you, you're, you're losing your eyesight. You went to college to tell me that? And I said, well, why? He goes, you're no spring chicken, pal. And I said, I'll tell you what, young man, meet me out in the parking lot and I'll show you these 40 year old hands can pop you in the nose. I mean, I was like, I did. I went, oh, don't you talk to me like that. He goes, well, it's obvious you've got your hearing, but your eyesight is going, pal. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? You need to get some glasses. So I did what everybody does when you go get glasses. I go to Walgreens. And I go to reading glasses. And I'm putting them on. And I'm going, you know, I couldn't believe it. That Bible was so far away. I mean, I kid you not. I had to sit at one time and because I could really see far away. So here I am. I get, I get up close. I can see better. I have to wear these all the time if I want to read anything in the Bible now. I have to look through these lenses. Listen, I know I can't look through many of your... Again, I want to apologize to all the kids I made fun of when I was a kid and had no glasses. Four eyes, four eyes. I now understand. Okay? I, Coral was in this first group uh, this morning, early this morning, the first service, and she goes, and she says, you know, Tim, I have had my glasses since I was four. I'm going, I'm so sorry, Coral. I, I apologize for you and all of your kind across the globe, you know. And, but, and, and, but I, but I, now I understand. I don't like wearing them. I like taking them off, putting them on. I got them everywhere because I lose them. If I don't have them, I've got to look through them. And I know some of you have had glasses a long time. I cannot look through your glasses and see clearly. You've got, you have to look, I understand that, and you can't probably see through mine very clearly either. We all got different views, but God's got a particular perspective, and He wants us to look through His lens. If we want to see what He's up to, we'll have to look through those, just like I have to have these glasses on, I have to have this perspective, and it's going to come from the Lord. Your spiritual vision matters is what I'm trying to say this morning. 
And the truth of, here's the truth. This is a sad reality is that we look through two different lenses, most po- two popular lenses in life. Fear, as a Christian, fear and faith. That's about it. There might be some in-betweeners there, but usually when I'm looking at life as a Christian, when I'm looking as a follower of Christ, I'm either looking through the lens of fear or the lens of faith. This week I was with a group of fellows who were sitting around talking, having breakfast, and we were talking about fear. And he said these words. He said them quietly, but we all heard it at the table. Fear ruins me. Let me ask you a question, church. If you were honest, is anybody here will admit fear has ruined you before? Can you think of moments? Raise that hand. Keep that hand up. I told him, I said, I'll ask my church this, and you know what? You're going to see all these hands go up. Look, you can put them down. Fear ruins everything. It ruins me. It ruins our relationships. It ruins opportunities to grow and mature. Am I right? To try new things. It, it hurts when we're, we're raising our children. It can, it can ruin their development. God has not given us a spirit of fear, is what the Bible says. Where did it come from? It does, don't blame Him. Well, I gotta have some fear in case there's danger, then I'll run away. I'm not talking about primal fear. I'm talking about this learned fear we have. And just as fear is learned, this fear that affects everything and ruins everything, there's a faith that God wants me to learn. See, fear may ruin you. Faith will reward you. It's never going to let, it's never going to ruin you. Faith will never ruin you. You can count on faith to reward you. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, and it's at the end of, in this lesson, I'm going to use it here now. It says it's impossible to please God without faith. Because if you, if you come to Him and believe in Him and trust Him, it says He rewards everyone who trusts Him and earnestly seeks Him. So faith rewards us. Fear, it ruins us. And there's probably a, a, a great example of this is found of, of this idea of looking through the eyes of fear is found in, in, the, in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 through 14. And uh, it's, a, it's a very familiar story for some of us here, but if you haven't heard this story, it's basically the children of Israel have left Egypt and it, they've, for two years they've been making their way to the Promised Land. And they're on the edge of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to cross into the Promised Land. And they uh, send out 12 spies. And you find out the 12 spies, they go. And uh, the 12 spies come back. And, um, and 10 of them, 10 of them, give a bad report. Two of them give a good report. Ten say, oh no, we're not going to go. And two say, oh, we got to go. Let's do it. Let me read their, their names. You've probably heard of these people. Shemua. Shaphet. Igel. Palti. Gadiel. Gadi. Not related to John. Emil. 
Sether, Nabi, Ghul. What a weird name. Hey, Ghul, come over here. Why is it? <laughs> Scary. <laughs> and Joshua and Caleb. Which two do you, or which, which ones do you remember are those last two? Am I right? Joshua and Caleb. I don't remember the other ones. Nobody wants to remember negative, fearful people. And the sad thing about this is these guys, these guys, the thing about fear is it's contagious. And they come back with this report and the whole nation is turned against the good report and they wander around for the next 38 years in the desert. This generation, because of fear, missed it. They missed the promise of God. I do not want us to be a part of that generation. I don't want Great Alton to become this church. Because honestly, folks, the majority of the spies were fearful and they were leaders. And can I say, I believe the majority of us here look through fear too much. If we were just honest. And we're going, we're going to miss it. We're going to end up dying in the wilderness if we don't begin to open our, our eyes of our heart to see what God's up to. So let's look at the, I'm going to, what I want to do is I'm going to spend some time looking at what happens when we look through the eyes of fear. So when I see through the eyes of fear, number one, from this pat, from Numbers 13, I notice something. First, I exaggerate my difficulties. Every difficulty has an original size. Remember when Big Macs were big? I used to eat two of those at one time. I could eat three now. I don't, but I could. I've learned difficulties have an original size, but my fear has a great imagination. How many times kids? I remember one time as a kid, we hear somebody coming up the steps. We see, we, we grew up in my great grandfather's house and we were convinced it was haunted. And we hear this, you know, creaking or weird sound. And we're all three of us are sleeping in the same bedroom now because we're afraid of this sound. And I remember saying, one more time, and I'm getting up. I'm going to get up and turn the lights on. And it happened again. There's a long, quiet pause. And Danny goes, are you getting up to him? No. There it goes again. Finally, I couldn't take it. I figured I could outrun the monster. My imagination is going to town. I jump out of bed, flip on the lights... No monster. Then I hear the sound again. And it's coming out the window. We open up the window. It's one of those oil pumpers. Making this sound. It sounds just like somebody come up steps. And that's what happens. Our difficulties, when we're, when we're looking through the eyes of fear, it just, it just exaggerates whatever difficulty I'm facing. Here in Numbers 13, it says, we arrived, it's, here's the spies now. 
Here's the ten spies. We arrived in the land you sent us to see, and it is indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's some fruit. Here's some fruit we brought as proof. They got proof of it. But the people living there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. And what's more, we saw Anakim giants there. They're very large. They're very powerful. There's giants there. Uh, and look at this next verse here up on the screen. This is just a few verses later. The other spies said, they'll crush us. They'll squish us like a bug. So the majority, list of this, what a phrase, the majority report of the spies was negative. And that's, and what's it do? It spreads like gangrene. It spreads like a disease. It's contagious. What I find ironic about this, as I studied, I heard this this week, and I thought I got to check this out. And I, I don't, it's just times you just don't see the, you don't see the details in the Bible. And as the uh, children of Israel wander around for the next thirty-eight years, so it's forty years they've wandered in the wilderness. They come back, and this time it's a new generation. Joshua picks two himself spies, and they go. And you remember where they go? They go to Jericho. And they, there they meet Rahab's house. And you know what Rahab says to him when she sees him? She goes, uh, we've heard of you guys and we've been terrified the entire time. What? You've been scared of us? You mean we've been wandering around the wilderness all this time? And you were, we were terrified. Our hearts melted like wax. They ran into another group. As they're in the promised land, it's the, called the Gibeonite deception. And these guys dress up like they got old clothes on and all wore out like they've traveled a long way off and they're really next door. They said, we, they, it, they get busted out and they go, look, we heard about your God, what he did in Egypt. We heard about the plagues and what he did to Pharaoh and we were ready to surrender. What? All this, you, who got who, how'd you find this out? There's no internet. How do you know this? Power of God spreads. Story of His power spreads. I'm just noticing the wasted life. They wasted their time because they had thought it was too hard to take. And these people were the ones that were terrified. You go into your workplace tomorrow. I want you to ask yourself, who's scared of who? Who should be scared of who? When you go, when you go to your campus, who should be scared of who? You see, if you're looking through the eyes of fear, you're going to think, oh, it's too big, it's too big. And if you could see through the eyes of faith, you'd see whatever you're facing is shaken in their boots. It's shaken in its boots. Number two, I when I look through the eyes of fear, I underestimate my abilities. Look, it says here back in Numbers 13, look what they said. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt as small as grasshoppers. You ever feel so small, like, oh, I can't do anything. I feel helpless. Are you looking through the eyes of fear? Fear will definitely will, will destroy your self-image and your confidence. They see themselves as hopeless. In fact, they, they say, and those guys see us as grasshoppers. I don't even know how they know that. 
But then I heard somebody say, uh, looking at this passage, says that's what fear does. It projects you project your fear to others, and that's what's happening here. And it's it's like it's like they're enslaved all over again now, not in Egypt, but in their mind with an idea they can't shake. And that's what fear does. It exaggerates my difficulty. It underestimates my ability. Number three, I'm easily discouraged. I can just be discouraged so easily. Look what it says. At this, all the people of Israel cried out in dismay and wept all night long. Because they were looking through the eyes of fear, they're discouraged. When you look through the eyes of fear, you're going to get discouraged real easy. You ever notice that one day you can be on top of the world, the next day in the dumps? What are you looking through? Number four, I whine and complain. I whine and I complain when I look through the eyes of fear. The Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. All the people came together and said to Moses and Aaron, we should have died in Egypt or in the desert. I've learned something because I am one. Insecure people are critical people. Let me say it again. Insecure people are critical people. They tend to be sarcastic. They pick things apart. They can see what's wrong and what's going to go wrong. They're negative. Why? Because their perception is based on fear. So it comes out negative, whining and complaining. Number five, I give up and blame God. When you start looking through the eyes of fear, folks, you find yourself, you get discouraged, yes. It's, the problem's too big. I'm too small. I'm so discouraged by that. I begin to complain about it. And then I begin to give up and I blame God. Look what the Bible says here. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? They blame God. Our wives and children will be taken away. We'd be better off going back to Egypt. Can you believe that? Israel's been in, been, been in slavery for 400 years and they've been out for two, just two years, and they'd rather go back. Why? Because they know what it is. That this, this walking by faith and living by faith is so unknown and so scary and I'd rather go back to what I know. But it's slavery. Yeah. It's, sla- it's safe slavery. So we go back to our old life. We go back to these old routines, these old patterns. Because I know what's going to happen there. They're this close to freedom. This close to blessing. And, it, and fear keeps them out. Remember now, they die in slavery to fear. But when, listen, when I open my eyes though, when I start to open my eyes to my heart, and when I open my eyes of faith, something else can occur. My faith does something that fear doesn't. What? Number one, my faith shrinks my problems. Like I say, every problem has an original size. 
And faith restores the size of that problem. Like Elisha and the servant. The servant sees this big army and the army didn't shrink in size. It, it shrank in perspective when he saw the army of God. Look at the Bible says here. Angel said this to, to Abraham and Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer to that question? No, nothing's too hard. When Mary said, I don't see how this is going to work. I don't know how I'm going to have a child if I don't have a husband. How's this going to work? And an angel says to this woman, for nothing will be impossible with God. Jesus would later say the same thing. Nothing is impossible for God. And so when I begin to open my eyes of faith, my faith will first shrink my problem. Secondly, faith opens the door for a miracle. It opens the door for a miracle. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe in miracles? Now, I know I'm talking to a mixed bag here of people. Some of us have a heritage that we have to logically explain away everything God does so that we don't somehow disrupt a traditional view that God doesn't break the laws of nature. Got awful quiet. Some of you, well, God can do anything. Break whatever He wants, do whatever He wants. I want you to know, I'm not so concerned about the laws of nature as I am the law of my nature. I doubt God doing stuff. I have this tendency to doubt that God can do something about that. How do you know? I pray for about it a little bit. I do something with it a little bit and I quit. I let my doubts, my fears limit what God can do. See, I think it's a miracle that I'm still alive. I think it's a miracle that God answers prayer. I think it's a miracle when God opens a door to share my faith or to help somebody and they come to Christ. That to me is mind-boggling. That's amazing. I just don't want us to be afraid of this word miracle. Look what the Bible says here. Jesus answered, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, Go and fall into the sea and it will have no... And if you have no doubts in your mind and believe that what you say will happen, God will do it for you. So I tell you to believe that you have received the things you ask for in prayer and God will give them to you. Now, I hope I don't have to do a bunch of disclaiming like, well, you just can't say, God, give me a pony. And it appears tomorrow. You know, is it within the will of God? Is it with, you know, is it with, is it with a, a godly reason, a godly motive? I mean, I, I, right? Do we have to talk about all that? Is it, is it for selfish reason? Blah, blah, blah. I just know that here's a promise that's in red letters in my red letter Bible. And it says there that Jesus says he promises, I tell you the truth, you have faith in God and you see that mountain, you can say to it, move and it will. Now, well, he's using a hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make a point, Tim. Okay. Okay. But why is he saying this? To frustrate me? Is he talking about real mountains or is he talking about something that just, I think, can't move in my life? 
Could he be talking about something that's just so stubborn that I look at and I go, that'll never change, that's never going to move, that's never going to ever move forward. And so I just give up on it. Jesus says, what are you doing? If you want it to move, if, if I want it to move and you want it to move, it's going to be moving. Look what Jesus says here. He said again to some people, Matthew recorded this, and because the people did not have any faith, Jesus did not work many miracles there. Hmm, I wonder why. I wonder why God isn't working some big stuff in my life. Could it be I have the same problem as these people? I don't have much faith or any faith at all? Church, we've got, listen, as a believer, a be, listen to that word, believer, I need to believe this. That God can do things. And He can work miracles in my life. He can do, He can open doors I think can never be opened. He can change things that I don't believe can ever be changed. I have more faith in my disclaimers than in the Word of God. What is that all about? I'm going to explain it away and explain it away and explain it away. And then what have I got left? Nothing because I've explained it all away. Is that what God wanted me to get out of this passage? No, He wanted me to believe that He can do things. Like Abraham taking Isaac up to the mountain. Lord, or Daddy, where's the, where's the, uh, the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. And He gets up there and He gets ready to sacrifice His Son. And the Bible says, He opened His eyes and He saw a ram in the thicket. Is that a miracle? Oh, what is it? God did something. Here's an Apostle Paul. He's killing Christians. Everybody's terrified of him. What are we going to do? Stephen stands there and takes it like a disciple. Bam, the first rock. Dies in front of him. He's You think, hey, this guy's so callous. He ain't going to change. And next thing you know, he's knocked down. And he's blind. And then he's able to see. And what's he do? He becomes this champion. A guy you think would never be reached. Is that a miracle? Or is that just God working? I can't even believe I just said it like that. Or is that just God working? That's God working! Do we believe that? Will we? See, I, I'm blind looking through this lens. I don't know how blind you are. I am blind. It's so blurry when it comes to believing that God can really do something. I want to believe this. I want our church to believe this. That God can do something and do something big. As big as a mountain. What's the mountain in your life? Let me tell you, faith will move it. Not your complaining, not your whining to God. God doesn't get off His throne because you whine long enough like a little kid. I want dinner! Okay, okay, shut up here! My grandkids got that power over me, but I don't have that power over God. Sometimes I've thought about asking them, hey, would you whine to God for this and maybe He'll listen to you? He ain't going to listen to them either. No. What moves God? Trust. Faith is what moves God. Number three, my faith will move God to act on my behalf. Again, Hagar is out in the middle of nowhere. She's, they need water. Lord, I need some help. And what's he do? He opens her eyes to see a well. Now listen, I want to make it clear. I had somebody this week 
somebody, I don't know, it was somebody, not here, but somebody called me up and go, this is so-and-so, call me. That was their message. Like I'm their personal bellhop or something. You ever anybody do that to you? Call you up and go, hey, call me. And you know what I did? I got right on the phone and I called her. No, I haven't called them. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Not like that. You want my help. Don't ask me like that. I want you to understand something, folks. God is not our bellhop. He is not our genie to take care of every little whim or little desires that we have. But that doesn't mean He won't do something on your behalf. I love my kids. I'll do anything for my kids. We say I'll do anything. You know, you know what I don't mean anything. I do anything for my grandchildren. You know I don't mean anything, but I do a lot for them. That's how parents are. That's how Hagar felt about her son. That's how God feels about you. I will help you. I want to help you. And he'll he'll do things by faith. He'll act on our behalf. There was a guy that was was blind, and look what it says. Then Jesus put his hands over his their eyes and said, "You will have what your faith expects." What's, what are you saying here, Lord? Well, I will bless you according to your faith. You decide how much I'll bless you. You bring me a little faith, you're going to, you're going to get a little blessing. You can trust me. And church, I don't know. I, I've not always trusted the Lord. I wish I could sit up here and say, I listen to some of these guys online and I listen to some of these mega church guys and they're just so impressive. And I've always trusted the Lord and blah, blah. I'm like, boy, I wish I could say that. I can't say that. But I can say this. Every time I have, He's worked. Every every time, Tim, I can say that. I'm just telling you the truth. Every time I've trusted God in a situation, He has worked. Doesn't mean I enjoyed it. I didn't walk away going, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. I didn't sing that little song. I went, Wow. But He worked. And that's what I really want. Every time I've trusted Him with my checkbook, He He blesses me in so many ways. Every time I bless Him by stepping out and trying something new, He opens up some area in my life I never saw before. It's just, it's like Jumanji. It's amazing. And see, this year, I want us to believe in God a little more. Just a little more and see what happens. Because I know faith isn't like big steps, right? I don't go, oh, there, I've arrived. No, it's always, oh, oh. Turn it around, help? I don't know. I've done that before. Turn it around. It's so hard, but every time I take that little step, God rewards it. And I just think, what is the step He wants you to take? It's not a big one, just a little one. And then another one. He comes through. He acts on our behalf when we do that. Let's be this church this year. Let's be the church this year that says we're going to step out. I'm going to step out a little bit more. I'm going to step I don't want to be the majority of the negative report. I don't want to be the one that believes and fears and scared all the time. I want to be on the faith side of this thing and see what happens. 
Number four. I'm getting all worked up. Number four. Packers are playing today. I'm getting all worked up. Go pack. Number four. My faith in God unlocks His promises. So if I do get scared, if I do get frightened, if I get reluctant, listen, if you'll put your faith in God, He unlocks these promises. Just like the disciples walking on Emmaus, and here's Jesus right there. He's with us all this time. He did resurrect. He did follow through with His promises. The Bible says, no, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Not mm, probably. What's it? Well, a commercial. Good enough's not good enough. You know what? You know what I'm saying? Maybe. No. It's just yes, yes, yes. And so, listen. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us. What's He saying? We believe this, Tim. We believe that He's going to make good every promise. And so our response is, so be it. It will be done. To the glory of God. I remember hearing this idea of how many promises there are in the Bible. One time I heard, oh, there's a thousand promises in the Bible. Then someone said, oh, no, no, there's two thousand promises in the Bible. Then a few years ago, somebody said, there's three thousand and five thousand. And I listened this week, I heard somebody say, there's seven thousand. What is the deal? Does anybody know? Yeah, there's a lot of them. And we're still looking and we're still discovering. We're seeing more promises. There's so many promises in the Bible, you can't count them. And they all are yes in Christ. You see, when I trust the promise maker, I get to know the promise keeper. If I trust the promise maker, then I experience and know the promise keeper. I find out, yeah, he'll take care of me. Yeah, he's good for that. Oh, this is all busting loose. This is all getting crazy. But he's he's still in control of this thing. It unlocks those promises. Number five, faith in God turns dreams into reality. A lot of people talk about dreaming. A lot of people in the Bible dream. Abraham had a dream. Moses had a dream. David had dreams. Joseph, of course, had dreams. You and I, you know, you might have a dream for your life. I'm not really interested in your dream. Did you hear me? I am not interested in your dream. I'm not interested in mine anymore. I've grown bored with my dream. I'm after God's dream. I'm after God's dream. Look what he says here. Now the glory be to God who by His mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. What are you saying, Paul? I'm saying that faith, faith helps you see God can do something bigger than your dream. Bigger than your imagination. Bigger than anything you can think of. Some of you here have got some great imaginations. I don't know, maybe you were raised with very few toys. And you could take socks and make a puppet play. And you know, you could do Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments with two socks and a pitcher of water. And you were amazed. You've got a great imagination. God says, nah. 
I can do more than you can even think of. What are you trying to say, Lord? I'm trying to tell you that my dream's the biggest and you want that one. If you're going to dream at all, church, dream of a time that you're fulfilling what God made you to be. That God wants you to be. Well, I want to be this and this and this and then I can do it. No. His dream is the biggest. I mean, ask yourself this. What would happen? What could happen if I would believe just a little bit more this year? Just a little bit more. What could happen? I'll tell you what. I'll give you one idea. You're that much closer to fulfilling what God has made you to be. So faith in God, it turns dreams into reality. His dream into reality. And a faith in God produces resilience. That's the last thing. When things get difficult, we want to quit. When we get afraid, we want to quit. I'm afraid something's going to go wrong. I'm afraid it's going to go sideways. I'm afraid. And we're just this close. Like the, you know, when you find out the children of Israel came back to the, the, the river's edge, it says when they finally put their toe in the water, the Jordan River parted. They were, they were already there before, just an inch or so away. Somebody could have went, let's see what happens. And they, but they fear kept them and they, and they wandered around. They died in the wilderness. And here comes this new generation and they decide to see what would happen if they got their feet wet and they take a step into something, into this edge. And the Bible says that the Jordan River parted. They crossed on dry ground. I don't know how you are when it comes to, when you're facing something that's hard. I know for me, my tendency is to want to quit because I'm looking through the eyes of fear. But when you look through the eyes of faith, it'll give you some resilience. Look at how Paul says it. We are pressed on every side by trouble, but not crushed or broken. We're perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do. You ever been so confused you don't even know which way to turn? Why is this happening? Absolutely. It's just we're hunted down. Another way to say it is we've been attacked. But God never, look at this, God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and we keep going. How are you able to do that, Paul? Because of our faith in God. We trust the Lord. When we're afraid, we choose faith. When fear comes in our life, we choose faith. We choose to look to Him to trust the Lord. You see, the thing I notice in this passage is faith may not take me out of the problem, but it sure will get me through it. And faith not, may not alleviate the pain. And I, I'm, a, I'm a pansy, folks. I'm a big pansy. I don't like pain. God makes it clear here in this bad Tim, I ain't taking your pain away. But I can take you through it. We can use it. Honestly, sometimes it takes pain to make me change. And it's this faith when I'm hurt or this pain when I'm perplexed, this... This faith when I don't know what's going to happen next helps me bounce back and hold on a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. How can I live with resilience? You'll never find it in fear. It's when you trust the Lord. I was um, listening to a fellow this week. He talked about, I remember this as a kid the big space race between Russia and the United States. 
If you remember, the Russians were a little bit ahead of us. That's when they were winning the race. And this, was it, Yuri Gagarin? I don't even know Gagarin? He goes up and up into space. He's an atheist. He goes up into space. He says, he says something like, I flew like an eagle and I look around and there is no God. And all the atheists applauded him and said, all right, Yuri, you're the, you're the man. A few months later, John Glenn, our guy would go up. John Glenn, being a Christian, goes up, up into space. He circles the earth, comes back down and he says, I saw God everywhere. He was in the stars. He was in, he was everywhere. What are you talking about? Who is right? Both were. You see, my faith, what I see is based on what I look through. What I'm looking through. The eye that you're choosing to look through is determining so much. Look at this passage on the screen. It's so important. This faith thing is a big issue for us here. For me, for you. It says, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him, if you're going to come to Him, must believe that He exists, that He really is. He re- he's real. I can't see Him. He's real. He's unseen. I can't see I can see a lot of things He's doing. That He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. God is going to reward you if, you, if you're after the Lord. He will, he will reward you. And maybe you're somebody here. You go, you know, I just, I've been living in fear and, and well, why not seek the Lord? He'll reward your faith. He'll reward your choice to seek Him. You won't be able to please Him without faith. Maybe some of you here, you've been Christian a long time. And you're going, man, I feel stuck. I don't feel like I'm pleasing God. It has something to do with your faith. You know that, right? It's a faith issue. Why not? I need to believe that He's going to reward me when I trust Him. I can count on His promises. I can count on His power and His presence. Or maybe you're somebody, you're not even sure if you're a Christian. You know what Jesus said? He said these words. I'm telling you the truth. He says, this is a true statement. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Maybe you need to be born again. I can't see because I really haven't. He's not Lord of my life. I've not made a commitment to Him. I've not been born of the water and of the Spirit. Let me encourage you. If you're in that condition, if you don't know where to start, let somebody open the Bible up with you and look at that. Because He wants you to open your eyes. He wants you to see. He promises He'll help you see. That's the lesson today. What there, huh? What does God want to open in your life this year? What does He want you to really get? What fear is robbing you? What fear is ruining you. There's a card in your bulletin. And it's just simply a response card. I really want us to take these next several weeks and look at our faith as a church and 
maybe if you would make a commitment that you're going to be here and let's go through this stuff, these passages and this material together and come asking God to open your eyes. I know I, I want Denise to open her eyes. My wife, she's in the crowd. I want her to open her eyes. Doesn't she see? You know, I want her to open her eyes to something. You know, and I know she wants me to open my eyes too. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I can think of some friends I wish that God would open their eyes. I'm going to set that aside. I want, I want to work. I want me to be... It's okay to be selfish on this one, okay? And say, I'm going to work on me this time. And maybe you need to make some kind of commitment today. Maybe it's rededicate your life or, I'm, I, God, I really am serious this time. I'm serious this time. I'm making a choice. I want you to work the Holy Spirit on me. I want you to pound me if you have to. Twist me. Do whatever you got to. I want to see what you're trying to show me. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a weakness. Maybe it's a door. It's an opportunity. I don't know what it is, but take those cards out. Think about what you could write on that card. Ask this prayer team to pray for you during this series. We're going to give you time to do that. After I pray, we're going to sing a song, give you time to do that, and then we'll sing another song. and We'll collect up any of those cards you have, uh, as well as our regular contribution. If you're a guest here today, I want you to know you're under no obligation to give a dime. We are not... You say, oh, you're, just, you're trying to use reverse psychology. No, I'm not. I'm trying to state a fact here. We're not interested in getting your money. We're interested in giving you something today. And so so it's wrong to give... No, if you want to give, you can, of course. I'm just saying is we're going to do that as we sing our closing song. So let's pray together and we'll be done here. Father, Father, I pray... This morning, we pray together. Open the eyes of our hearts this morning, Lord. Help us to see with eyes of faith and not fear. Father, what are You wanting us to see? Is it Your power? Is it a step, a step in front of us we need to take? Where do we need to trust You, Lord? Is it in our marriage? Where we work? Help us see Your plan. Father, do You want us to see that You just love us so much and You care what we're going through? Lord, we don't want to wander aimlessly and be dominated by our fears. We don't want to die scared. Oh God, Would you use this series to strengthen our faith as we begin a new decade together? Would you move the mountains in our lives? Open the eyes of our faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.